Start your day the KUAM way with our new streaming shows on Facebook Live each weekday. Here's your starting lineup. Mondays, we'll give you a glimpse into our morning meetings with the KUAM news team. Tuesdays, join our group chat with Chris Barnett. Wednesdays, it's crime time with the island's law enforcers. Thursdays, get the latest info with Dave Delgado, who's in the zone. And Fridays, we get Fit AF, fitness and fun. And the best part, all our shows are completely interactive, so you're directly part of the conversation. Join us Monday through Friday starting at 9 a.m. Start your day the KUAM way. Today, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first uh, episode, if you will, of GQ under the banner of the uh, KUAM Studios. And uh, my name is Julius Santos, or Julius Caesar Santos. GQ, it stands for Guam's Q. And uh, the reason why I chose the name is uh, particularly because of the word Q, C-U-E. And there's a psychological definition of it. And essentially, uh, to simplify it, it's uh, you know, a cue, like for an actor, a cue is, uh, okay, now it's time for me to say my line, now it's time for me to take action. Uh, and it has a lot to do with perception, and so this podcast, we're going to be talking about anything and everything, and, and the, the, the goal of this podcast is to get you to think, to provide context, uh, to provide nuanced perspectives, and, and so as to create more insight uh, into whatever it is that we're discussing, uh, and to cause you to think. I don't want to tell you how to think, we're not trying to change your mind. Uh, you just uh, listen to the conversation and make your own decision. So the first episode, first topic of discussion, uh, it's something that's been in the news a lot uh, recently, and uh, we've seen uh, this kind of, I don't know if I want to call it a movement, or a, mm. uh, 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 it's a social, definitely a social political uh, uh, issue or point. It's an and existential issue. Hey, there you go. Existential. Thank you. You're absolutely right. And it's the uh, Chamorro identity. What does it mean to be a Chamorro? Is there a definition? And who gets to create that definition or write it? You know. And uh, so a little bit of housekeeping, some ground rules here. Uh, offense is only taken. It's never given. Right? <laughs> uh, That's when, a good rule. Yeah. <laughs> when, when somebody's speaking, you allow them to, to finish their idea. Of course, there's going to be instances where we're going to unintentionally interrupt. 50 so, times. Yeah. So those would be excused, I don't know, about 50 times. But, uh, you know, when somebody's speaking, allow them to finish their point. Uh, and uh, those really are, are the two main, two main rules. So again, I'm Julius Santos. Today, my guests are Adrian Cruz and Jeremy Cepeda. So already they're putting me to shame because uh, both these gentlemen are fluent in our native tongue, if you will. I just like saying that. I try. Uh, hanging out with them has definitely helped, and uh, it's actually, I've, I've gained a lot of insight into the language and, and the way it's used and the way our people used it. But we'll get right into it. Um, I'll start off with this. What, it, what is identity, first of all? What is the definition of identity? And I was kind of researching it the last few days, uh, and a lot of it stems from what your beliefs are, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you, when you look at uh, the individuals who, actually, I think the light's supposed to be facing you. I'm not sure. Well, it was working, so it's fine. I won't mess with the mics now. Um, I'm talking about beliefs, and so uh, identity is is predicated along your beliefs, and what are what are our beliefs? And and I was again doing research on that, right, going down the rabbit hole even further, and essentially your belief is kind of like the story of life that that 
in the way that you understand it. Mm. I think also it it probably stems on not just what you believe or what uh, or, or how you identify, but a lot of it also has to come from external forces. Sometimes, whether you believe it or not, the world views you in a certain way, and therefore it gives you an identity, right. like it or not. And that's interesting because that that kind of lends. Uh, that kind of uh, speaks to, uh, I don't want to say cognitive dissonance, but you might believe something, but the way you act out projects right. a different something else. to people around you. That's, that's right. saying how people believe you. That's Adrian Cruz, by the way. And so when Jeremy speaks, Jeremy, say hello. Well said, you know, the world um, uh, does give you, how, how did you put it? Uh, they give you an identity which you may or may not agree with, uh, but, you know, they'll, they'll box you in based on the way you act or a particular set of characteristics. Yeah, true, and that's very unfortunate, but it is a reality mm -hmm. that we face, you know, and uh, also to add to that narrative uh, is, yes, the world, right, but what do we mean when we say the world? We have the world, the outside view, right, that's the bigger mm -hmm. picture, but also on your normal average day-to-day -day person your world is your family and who you interact right, with and right. where you go on a daily you know and even that it's it's your bubble because yeah. they have different uh, life experiences that identity might change so right yeah. and and one thing about change is you know a lot of people think like oh it changed like oh it must be good it's like that's not it's not yeah, not necessarily it can change for the worse and then they can actually go through some evolving and then they can change for the better at the end of the day but then what you said is so like, wow, I never, I never articulated it like that. And that was really cool because even if you've, you, you took a bad turn in your life and you interacted with people in a really negative way and then you evolved and you became this better person, the world's still not going to see you like that. It's going right. to take, take time because of how you projected your image based on your actions. And so people, that's what they remember. But over time, if you're consistent and you've changed your ways and they're like, well, he used to be like that. But he's not acting that out anymore. Right. right. You know, uh, today is a holiday, of course. It's Liberation Day, um, or as Jeremy would like to put it, uh, Dependence Day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll get to that later. But um, here's a good concrete example. Mm. The identity and the image of a Japanese person that my grandparents have mm -hmm. is very different from the way I view and identify Japanese people today. Right. Yeah, you know, I could never imagine a tourist in Tumon wielding a samurai sword and telling me to pick rice. Um, you know, I always see them as uh, cute people on buses, uh, taking pictures waving. and uh, waving, and, and so crossing the road. yeah, <laughs> and, and and so their identity, the way that I identify these people, right. has changed over time, and um, I think that's a that's a that speaks to your point that. If you're consistent with a particular action or if you display a set of characteristics over time, then it becomes your identity. Now, if you ask somebody in Japan um, if, if the way I identify them as a person from Guam and I, the way I see Japanese is consistent with their identity, they might say no. They might uh, espouse still some of this bushwalking and whatever, but we don't see that. And so how does a person identify i think that's a really personal question mm -hmm. and i think it's a you know it changes just like our hairstyle or the complexion of our skin or how many wrinkles we have right. um and i don't think you could ever say that something is i, I don't think it is no it's yeah it's not uh, go ahead Jeremy. i'm sorry no nah. and you know it's when we, if we really dwell on the topic, right, you know, we, we should, we may come to the realization or we should 
I have anyway, how the, what the world's perspective is, is of you, how they see you. What's more important is how you see yourself because that affects everything you do. Thank you, Dr. Phil. You're absolutely welcome, right? I'm well, here all week. And, and I think I know what you're talking about. And, and um, bef before we get onto that, I just want to say what's interesting as you were talking about the Japanese identity and our, our perception of them is we're seeing them on vacation. Yeah. We're not seeing how they conduct themselves yeah. in their everyday lives. That's right. They're when they're fun. being responsible, when they're trying to be on their work schedule. That's right. You know, when they're, when they're being that uh, evolved version of the Bushido. And so it's it's misleading, right? It's kind it of misleading is. the way they act here. Because when I when I went to Japan, throwing peace signs, taking pictures in front of random things, right, <laughs> right, you know, everybody was going about their days, and and so it was. And that's crazy. where Julius gets all his cool suits that you always see him walking around in his over in Japan. <laughs> From the GU store, it's all very affordable. It's called disposable clothing. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't wear it. Does that mean I'm disposable? Uh -oh. Life is mutable. Yeah. So Jeremy, you were talking about uh, uh, you don't think it's important. Uh, so it's so important is how the world sees you and I think that that uh, is similar to the sentiment where like uh, you know you shouldn't care about how people judge you and, and those kind of things which is you know to a certain degree I believe it's true yeah, to a degree, yeah. um, but when we bring up the point that Adrian talked about and how people perceive you right uh, you can say well I don't care how they perceive me they think I'm this and they think I'm that but I know I'm not that and then that goes deeper down into the belief. It's like, well, that's what you believe, but what have you been acting out? Because they only perceive what you're acting out. Because right. I'm not a mind reader. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right? So I don't know what's going on in your mind. You're <laughs> minding your own business. Yeah. A human being <laughs> is a complicated creature indeed. Right? <laughs> yeah, and you know, there, there comes a point mm -hmm. that when you can't connect or when you can't reconcile how the outside world views you, you're how they see your ident how they identify you mm -hmm. and with what you perceive is your personal identity mm -hmm. then that's where problems come yeah and i think um if we're going to relate it here to guam uh you know we might as well cut right into it yeah we can we can there, to that now. the identity of of the people on guam is so in my opinion skewed yeah. so uh unresolved that it leads to all these issues that we have, these cultural and even socioeconomic, uh, because it bleeds into that. You know, uh, we express ourselves in our tourist industry in a way um, which is a little off, I think. And when you have people that are constantly struggling with their identity, it leads to all kinds of other dysfunctions in in a life and in a society i mean i can name two of them but go ahead now <laughs> uh, another uh, just to think outside of the box or to relate it in a different way mm -hmm. imagine a person who is uh, gay and they can't reconcile their personal identity uh, with the identity that the outside world has mm -hmm. it leads to all if you think about it in that way it kind of relates to people on Guam um, mind you that the identity of people on Guam are different than our relatives in the Northern Marianas Islands mm -hmm. who may not have those same kinds of issues 
Um, and so it's interesting to see the juxtaposition of, of Chamorros uh, throughout the world, right? So you have the identity of Chamorros on Guam you ha and, and Guamanians, and then you have the identity of people from the Northern Marianas, and then you have the identity of uh, Chamorros or, or other people from Guam who live in the States, for example. And the three of those things seldom meet, in my opinion. Yeah. It could, that, that could be like the beginning of a joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> a from the States, Chamorro from Saipan. You, you know, and it's interesting because Julius grew up in Saipan for a while. Yeah. yeah J Jeremy, uh, I grew up um, in California uh, and, and Guam. And so... You know, you're ambassadors of the. <laughs> we're kind of ambassadors of different points of view yeah. uh, in the quote-unquote uh, Chamorro world. Uh, you know, and, uh, uh, growing up in Saipan, it was never an issue. But then again, that was the '80s, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, What's wrong with the '80s, Julius? What's no, wrong no, with the I'm 80s? just saying, I'm right. Um, and uh, you, you talked about. Okay, so you said um, that. Um, Skewing of, of identities mm -hmm. uh, from neurosis to other uh, dysfunctional kind of uh, uh, psychological may lead to yeah yeah may lead to, right? may so lead to bitterness and resentment because when you don't know who you are and then you you have all of these and, I, and I'm drawing from personal experience mm -hmm. right and so when I learn more about Guam's history and then I learn about you know what happened after the war and then I learn about the Spanish and so I started to be bitter. And I, uh, about the past, and I started to resent. Well, I used to use the term, you know, we were a people interrupted, mm -hmm. and uh, that was in my own world. And then, you know, years later, I, I look at history again, but I look at it from, a, you know, to use a term our, our friend Ken Joanna used holistically. Mm -hmm. And I looked at it very holistic. <laughs> I looked at it globally. What's up, Ken? I looked at it globally. <clears throat> And we weren't unique in that aspect, and I'm not trying to diminish the no, we weren't. tragedies that happened in Guam. You know, when you say all things... societies throughout all the earth, the same right. thing happened to them. When you say things like, we were a history interrupted, you know, I, to me, it's like, it's, it's not so much an interruption is, that's just the natural course of things. Well, that was, that was my know? neurotic side right. of history. You know, or, you you know, know we have this... Uh, perspective history. then. Yeah, you know, we have this uh, romanticized yeah, idea, yeah, right, yeah. that we were all... Uh, uh, you know, singing Kumbaya and living in Laddystone houses and, you know, it was the island of the Blue Lagoon. Uh, but that's not reality. And I think that understanding that reality will help us to see why we face some of the challenges that we have today. You know, I, I had an employee, uh, before I worked in government, I, I owned a business and one of my employees, um, uh, his name is Dexter. Uh, that's his nickname. Anyway, Dexter is uh, mulatto. He's black, half African-American, half Chamorro. And uh, he never he never really knew his father, his African-American father, growing up. And um, so he identified with his Chamorro family. If I put Dexter on the phone, you'd think he's from like... Uh, Malolo or something, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, and everything about him um, exudes uh, stereotypical Chamorro, um, you know, island uh, demeanor. However, he is most visibly African-American. Um, 
if you were just to see him at the mall without talking to him, you would most definitely think he was, you know, on his third rotational deployment here on Guam. Um, and so here was Dexter, you know, a young guy. Uh, he was working for me. Uh, we worked very closely together. Um, and... Uh, I got to know him. He didn't drive, so I always would pick him up to take him to work and stuff. And we got to have lots of conversations. And, um, you know, he struggled with that. And I told him one day, um, because he took offense to something that somebody said. Somebody asked him uh, where he was from. And he told them, you know, I'm from Sinhania. And uh, said, no, where yeah, where are you really from, right? Like, are you from Georgia or Texas or, you know, and yeah. And, and he, he was really offended by that. And I had to tell him, I said, you know, Dexter, um, to the world, you know, um, you're African-American, you're black to the world. It's only people that know you and understand you that are going to see the nuances. But who cares that other people think you're black? And who cares uh, that people who know you think that, you know, you're a Chadi Chamorro from Sinahanya? What matters is you need to learn to embrace both those sides because you are wasting way too much personal energy and having so much angst about your identity and it's not healthy and you know then you hyper extend yourself in either direction because you're trying to compensate for whatever kind of issues that you have growing up you need to just accept it because it makes you who you are and you know after after a few months after having that conversation uh, he was a lot more uh, at peace I guess with himself yeah. and with his identity and learn to be proud of both of them because you know both of them uh, were brought together and, and uh, created him whether he likes the circumstances or not um, and the fact that he has the chance to uh, like or dislike a circumstance you know would not have happened if, if uh, these two cultures didn't come together and it, it really gave him I think a sense of peace and and well-being and it's an issue that he can move on from now and focus on you know bigger things today of course Dexter is very successful um, he uh, he's doing well he has a family um, so I'm very proud of him and uh, I hope in some way that helping to resolve his identity issues um, you know uh, helped him achieve that that sense of purpose in his life and jeremy and i uh, were at my house last night and talking and we were we yeah and, and we were talking and, and julius said that he he was going to bring a guest who happened to be uh one of jeremy's uh cousins that i don't think they've ever met but if you could see us listening audience we are a quite a color you know a color spectrum of uh, what chamorros are um, here in, and look like in the Marianas, right? <laughs> so, you know, I look like a Mexican from L.A. A Mexican G cartel leader. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy could be a Chamorro or a, uh, you know, a midget Samoan. 
and 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 Julius, of course, could look like uh, Paco Suave from you know a Mexican. Uh, from like San yeah, and 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 so we were supposed to have this third person who kind of looks fourth, to yeah. fourth person who kind of looks you know Vietnamese to me. Uh, you know, he's half white, half Chamorro. He looks very Anglo. Yeah, well, I don't know. To me, you know, I just I see what you're saying. Yeah, he has this Asiatic kind of look. Uh, you can definitely tell that he's part white. And we all come from a diverse background of uh, Chamorroness and the Chamorro experience, right? And so we were talking and we were saying, wow, you know, it's easier, I think, for me, a Chamorro with obviously heavy Hispanic features and, and blood, to say that I'm Chamorro and have nobody bat an eye about it than for a person who obviously looks... Anglo, yeah, you know, or a person who's like half Chamorro, half Japanese, it's weird, right? Still, people who don't know me; they're they're not sure if I'm Chamorro or not. Yeah, you know, so, and when I moved to the states, or I, people thought I was Filipino if they didn't think I was Mexican. Yeah, and and so what happens is, but when you tell other Chamorros that you're Chamorro, yeah. it's not a big oh yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, I could, yeah. 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 We've seen your kind around here. <laughs> and yeah, and, and but if if a ha, if a Chamali said that. They would, there would be shock, yeah. teasing, with uh, you know all yeah. kinds of other things. And that's that's very unfortunate, you know, that that exists, right? You know, um, whether it's one percent or a hundred percent, I mean, if you're tomorrow, you're tomorrow, no questions asked, yeah. right? In, in my book. Um, Where can I buy that book? Uh, <laughs> on sale soon, I know. <laughs> but. Um, um, you know, like as you said, right, we come from different uh, parts of mm -hmm. the Chamorro experience, and right now we're talking about troubles that our uh, Chamauli brethren may encounter. Um, you know, we all have friends uh, that come from that represent that community mm -hmm. or come from My that two community. Older sisters, and oh. they they both kind of dealt with it differently in their lives because they're, they're <laughs> half Holly. Their dad's from Kentucky. Oh, wow. Really oh, deep in there. Deep yeah. in there. Yeah, where are the nooses yeah. at? <laughs> <laughs> horrible, horrible. <laughs> but, but you were you were saying Jeremy. But you know how like um the the Chamauli ones that have more Caucasian characteristics, yeah. they tend to have a tougher time. Yeah. Growing up in our community here that is supposed to be touting all love and acceptance. Right. It's I mean? ironic, right? Yeah. They and I think they have to be hyper chamorros because of that. They have to be super chamorros. They have to really express. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes yeah. they feel the need to be, right? And it's unfortunate that they have to live their life with that prejudice. Right. From Constantly proving their identity. Exactly. And but uh, uh, was that and uh, so, you know, I really feel for those people and I try, I, you know, I try to treat everyone the same. And let, if you don't mind, right, just uh, take a look about each of us individually, where mm -hmm. we're from, where we hail from, you know. I'm born and raised here, right in Guahan. My father's site, right, my grandfather is uh, originally from Luta, right, and that's where that comes from. Mm -hmm. For I'm very happy to say that I have bloodlines, right, coming from bo uh, yeah. both Guahan bridging and the Northern Marianas. Yeah. Bridging, exactly. Guahu itelai. Itonkulu zanfeda angokudzun. It's a reliable bridge. <laughs> Anyways, right, so... You know, but uh, most of my life, I grew up here. I didn't know about my Luta connection so much until later on in life. So, mm -hmm. you know, born and raised here. I always spoke like this, as far back as I can remember. I'm, I look pretty tomorrow, don't I? Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. I would say. How's about this? That I was, I grew up being teased. No. For my accent and my tomorrowness, huh? Even having red dirt on your door because we had a ranch and we did grow some of our stuff. We had. Yeah. We so you're the guy they were them. talking about. <laughs> One of them. <laughs> and you know the. That's why. Uh, you know, and in the 80s and 90s, uh, there was a strong word being thrown around, chod, right? Mm-hmm. We hear that chod thing. And um, Can you define chod? Well, according to uh, what I was taught to, Defunta, uh, <laughs> Dr. Uh, Bernadita Dunca oh, okay. uh, once told us about this. And uh, I heard it also from another aunt of mine who, you know, separate, uh, independent mm-hmm. of one another. Right, saying that you know, Todd is short for Tada, and it was a term coined by women to refer to Sitada, yeah. and, and, and it also has another connotation when you Grass. Uh, yeah, uh, address okay. a woman as Tada, yeah, uh, all kinds of things, right? Not good, ratchet. Is she yeah. ratchet? She's Tada, yeah, uh, yes, and no, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, ne- it's negative, it's, it's negative it's connotation, it's a pejorative, yeah, pejorative. I'll be the cute one. (laughs) And so, you know, and, you know, history all over the world shows how over time words tend to be misused and definitions change, right? That's right. And so... Through that misuse, yeah. Yeah, through that misuse. And, you know, once it starts, it's like wildfire. You can't stop it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I see the connection, though. If, if, If it was originally for a woman who was just kind of... Fallacious. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, no, no, no. I'm just, you know. Flirtatious. Uh, and, and, and yeah. uh, bad manners. A whore. Poor taste. Yeah. Is, that, is that another equivalent? No. Well, anyway, uh, she, a, a slag. person who didn't yeah. present themselves right. in a way that was at least a, 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 an acceptable level of, of dignified, right? That's right. You yeah. don't have to be the most dignified. Right. You carry yourself with a certain level of dignity. And so from Tzada and then Chad would essentially be like our rednecks and that's kind of... That's right. That country that's right. Hillbilly. Kind of, yeah, they're salt of the earth kind of thing, right? <laughs> and uh, But it, it's, it could be used as a pejorative, or, but I think today it's kind of just becoming more of a classification. Well, are they more Chad or are they more like... So are you saying, Jeremy, that when you would waddle into school <laughs> with that red dirt on your zori that, uh, and, and speaking the way you do and, and chewing pugwa and, uh, you know, just having a very uh, island point of view that you were called a chan? Yeah. Oh, man. I think so, you know. And uh, so for me, I don't like the word, you mm. know. Some people now are tending to flip it and embrace it as representing tomorrowness. Like right. the N-word. Like the N-word, right, you know. But uh, for me and my generation, right, the, or our generation, mm. right, uh, it, you know. We're millennials, by the way. It stings a little bit, you know, and I don't like it, right, because mm. it was used on me negatively. Mm. And uh, so, you know, imagine, oh, look at your accent. You talk like that. You're so taught. I'm like, this is the accent you're supposed to have if you're from here, right? And you guys, right. your family speak tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Why, why am I being teased for my tomorrowness? Yeah, very interesting. So I, I grew up, uh, I was born and raised in San Francisco, California. Um, and when I was 13, I moved to Guam. And so here I am, a California boy. Um, who could speak Chamorro uh, because Chamorro was um, the first language that I experienced growing up at home. And so, of course, I did not look uh, Chamorro 
Um, and because I haven't been to Guam very long and I came from the Bay Area, I wasn't as tan as I am now. <laughs> and so here I am, the new kid. Um, I came in mid-year. So I couldn't uh, enroll into private school, so I, I went to um, Antalan Middle School. And what had happened was, I, here I, I dressed differently, I had different uh, manner, manners, I, I looked different, and I would see these, I'd hear those words, right? And I, was, I didn't understand what it all meant. And then, you know, I would get, not teased, but I think, I think it was a partial teasing, partial fascination about America, you know, the States, right? It's something that a lot of Chamorros aspire to go to. And so here I was, right? Uh, a real life specimen. And so I was in a Chamorro class and I was shocked. When I moved to Guam, I thought that everybody on Guam could speak Chamorro because I grew up in a home speaking Chamorro. I thought that was pretty normal. And in fact, because I was in a big city and all my friends were non-Chamorro, um, I almost never um, expressed my Chamorroness outside of the home. It was kind of not a shameful thing, but it's just... It was a private thing, right? I, I didn't feel the need to have to... I didn't want to be the oddball out. And so here I was. I came to Guam. And one of the first things I realized was nobody speaks tomorrow. Right? Or barely. Anymore. Barely. And so again, I didn't want to be the oddball out. So I, I continued, of course, to speak English. And then when we had our first tomorrow class... I thought to myself, what the hell is this kindergarten stuff? And so it was, uh, there was a book. I don't even know what the book was, but it was written in Chamorro and they were having somebody recite, you know, read the book. And it was just taking so long. And I, I kept asking to go to the bathroom and uh, I need to pee. And the teacher was frustrated because, you know, these the students were supposed to read the book. And uh, I think it was like the third or fourth time that I asked to pee. And the teacher, uh, her name is Mrs. Santos. She's Angel Santos's mom. Oh. What's her name? What's her first name? Then Angela. Yeah. She was the Chamorro teacher. And so she, in her frustration, said, if you can read... She's called Mr. America. Mr. America, if you can read, if you can read the, you know, the the passage from the book, you can go and use the bathroom. So I picked up the book and I read the Chamorro the whole page in like twenty seconds, and uh, there was a moment of shock from the entire class, and um, that really. I don't know how it made me feel. Well, I know I needed to pee. That was the most, that was the biggest feeling that I had is that I, I, I need to go and pee now. But it really changed the way people viewed me and I felt a little worried and ashamed that people would call me Chod because I had learned in my short time that that was not a good thing to be. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I feel for you, Jeremy. Thank you. Red, Thank you. red dirt and all. You know, <laughs> thief now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's really, that's a very interesting story because I experienced something like that, but at the opposite extreme. Mm. Growing up in uh, my childhood in Saipan, um, so were you not tomorrow enough? It, yeah, it was weird, right? Because both my parents were, were academics and my dad was always trying to be very articulate even though he had an accent and mm-hmm. didn't want to think he had an accent. That's why he named you Julius. Yeah. Well, he called me, he named me Julius, but After my name Julius Caesar name. was Julius. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like hardcore <laughs> siphoning Julius. Julius. I heard you got into a fight today at school. Fight. <laughs> how, how do you still fight that? F-I-G-H-T. Okay. You know, God bless his soul. He, he passed away uh, a few years ago. But, you know, and so, so they always taught me to be articulate and, and this and that and so yeah the kids would you know like Boasu kind of teach yeah. me right and so that was the, the different kind of experience and but we're and then we're at those ages where we really don't know how to how to filter and, and right. digest that. I still don't have a filter by the way <laughs> okay then at least as far as digestion and integration of, of what it is and so we talk about chad and yeah it, it especially the origins of the words from Tzada to chad and Tzada has never really been a good expression in our language right it's always some kind of something funny or something bad or something stinky uh, but then it, it turned into chad if that is in fact the true it could be sexy too yeah. <laughs> this is true that's for another With second the squid. <laughs> and so when we look at the evolution of the word today it's like people can say like oh that's so chad but you know it, it it's kind of developed this classification kind of status because i will say that yeah sometimes i can be a little chad but i don't mean like that's a negative side of me that's when i say like that's when i can be down to earth and mm-hmm. you know that's when you know the the I, I can just kind of let myself be a little bit. Uninterested. He can let his hair down. Yeah, I have. I, on the other hand, cannot do that because you don't have hair. Because I don't have hair. <laughs> I do. And so, you, you look at that like, well, why is it a bad thing? And now, obviously, when we're growing up, it was because it was used against us, and kids are cruel like that. You know what I mean? It's not like they have an overall global agenda. They just. I don't think anybody could accuse you, Julius, of being child. This is true. Well, I mean, when I was malfunction, it was interesting when I would meet people and they're like, I always thought you were like a fat kind of, fat kind of like chotty dude, like just jolly and whatever. You were fat? Really? They thought that listening to me on the radio. Oh, oh. At one point, I weighed like 210 pounds. Wow. So, wow. Five nothing. going up, it goes out. Yeah. Yeah, Same here. (laughs) At one point, I was also 210 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) You still are. At least a part of you. (laughs) In spirit. (laughs) And so, having experienced that on the opposite end, and we're kind of looking at each other from the far spectrums. And where we are today, I mean, I don't know how, how you guys are, but I'm, I'm pretty much at peace with how people see, view things mm-hmm. unless they're, they're speaking directly to me in the conversation and they're, they're making assertions. Then that's when I'll get irritated. But, yeah, people will see things the way they do. We have no control over that. Right. You know, and it's funny you bring up malfunction mm-hmm. because for better or for worse, I think um, that show of yours, Julius, mine, it was with Chris Barnett. You know that that show brain. that you people, <laughs> you know, you did. I think on on a cultural level came to define what that is. It satirized it. Mm. It it. Uh, 
it made people it could be construed by some people as saying um, that these Chamorro ca characteristics which you guys basically essentially black faced on went to our detriment as a people however on the other hand, it could also be said that um, it is in that very sort of Juan Walimanga spirit. I, I don't know if you, um, for, for the listening audience, um, and especially for uh, younger millennials and below, there used to be this column in the newspaper called Juan Walimanga. It was a little cartoon um, strip that came out, what, in the 80s, you know, up to the 90s, maybe. And it would satirize uh, Chamorro humor, uh, Chamorro ways of looking at the world, but most importantly, Chamorro ways of responding to colonization and the outside world. So, for example, um, in the Juan Walimanga, and it comes from, Juan Walimanga comes from like the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and it came to mean this guy who, um, you know, basically was passive-aggressive with uh, foreign powers. And I believe his original name was Juan Mala, the character. Yeah, Juan Malo, which means bad John in yeah. Spanish. Um, and so here it is, you know, the, the governor, Juan Walimanga would work for the governor, the Spanish or American governor, and the governor said to, uh, you know, pick, pick some kind of crop. Well, Juan Malimanga would turn around and, and satirize it by, uh, you know, picking something useless and giving it to him. It, there's all, it, it's just this funny sort of lazy sort of uh, underhanded way at raging against an oppressive system. And so the modern equivalent to that was malafunction. Malafunction portrayed Chamorros in a humorous albeit negative light but at the same time for those who could read in between the lines it was the Chamorro way of analyzing whether our modern system was working for us or not and one of the prime examples of that is you had an episode in which there were uh, people who were recruited for the military I think mm -hmm. yeah uh, you had a Micronesian, a Chamorro, and and um, Filipino. Yeah, and and if you really look at the skit, it's about all these people trying to fit into a non-native um, context, context, and trying their best um, to participate in that. So, for example, you had the Micronesian who wanted to be part of this Guam army or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, uh, give me rocks and I'll throw it. Yeah, rocks, bro. But if you think about that, of course, we all know what it's alluding to. We all can have a laugh about it. But if you really think about it, here is the Micronesian who is struggling to fit in and wants to do his bit for the Guam militia. Mm -hmm. The only way he knows how to do it is in that very rudimentary David and Goliath type, yeah. you know, rock throwing war. And then it goes on to the Chamorro guy who does something similar, you know, uh, and the Filipino guy who does something similar. So they're all trying to fit into this system, but they can't reconcile that with their identity. Mm. And uh, I think that this idea of Chad was canonized by 
the malfunction show it was crystallized by it it was it was the prime exam if you want to know what chad means from the late 1990s <laughs> you know that is the uh hallmark of it may i jump in on this sure <laughs> okay so I don't disagree, man. The, that's good. Uh, good parallels that you made between one Malamanga and Malafunction. You know, I found that stuff hilarious. You know, um, it did bring up a lot of uh, unfortunate truths, right? But it present, it tried to present them uh, in a humorous way. You know, and I think. Um, you know, I've been observing this, you know, within myself and, you know, trying to learn more about it. But, you know, I've come to the realization that, um, you know, people don't like to be told, hey, you're bad, you're messed up or whatever, right? This is, this is what's wrong with you. But this kind of teasing and joking at it, right, presenting the big problems in a humorous way kind of helps with the healing process, right? It makes you laugh, right, because, oh, shit, you see some... It's okay, I'm sorry, Costa. Uh, oh, crap, right, you know... Uh, <laughs> oh, crap, you know, um, it looks like... Um, this looks really bad, but I find some truth in it. Oh, man, am I really that messed up? Oh, crap, right, and then... That then... From there, at least, you know, one would hope that you become conscious of it. Yeah. And then you make efforts to fix it. Yeah. And so, um, was that? Um, the Malafunction Show, man. I love that show, by the way, right? Thank you to the three of you, right? Uh, Chris, Andy, and Julius. Um, and it made us look at some real hard issues. It did tackle some hard issues, like uh, almost... Um, there's that one episode with uh, Si Bernadette and Si when Kiku came back the and yeah the sidekick but when he came back and uh, talked about the, her killing the roosters you know and You're talking about the, the TV series because yeah. in the radio in the radio, the radio series, didn't we have never, that we never had the continuation the sequel or the uh, yes but you what see what happened after yeah but that's responsible right and the radio series right we did hear it right we found it right uh, hilarious right. But uh, on the on the show, right? You were, took that responsible approach and made that disclaimer, right? That although you're joking about it, this the <laughs> yeah, domestic violence is not a cool what thing. Jeremy's talking about just provide some context to that. So at the end of the the follow up, uh, Bernadette's calling the psychic to find out if her boyfriend's cheating. Uh, the psychic's like, "Duh, he's cheating." The uh, the coincidence or the, the irony is that he's cheating on Bernadette with the psychic, and so the psychic. Kiko realizes he wants to go back to his wife. He goes back to his wife, and she's like, I found out what you were doing, so I killed all your roosters. And so he gets mad, and he's about to go up to... It looks like he's going to strike her, and that's when this little PSA that we cut into the the, uh, the scene where, like, you know, it's... Oh, yeah, typical Chamorro, he's going to go, and he's going to slap her or whatever because mm -hmm. he's something stupid. And it's like, yeah, you know, we're making fun of it, but that's really not a good thing to do, and that's not how you should react in a situation like that. Yes. Um, you know? It's that that violence is never the solution in those scenarios. And then the scene cuts back in, and you know, because he throws his arm up, but what he does is he runs up to her and then he grabs and, her and he hugs, hugs her. her right? and he just that. like he shows her, he's like, ah, whatever. Yeah, nice happy ending. Yeah, kind of. That's interesting. That, <laughs> that ties in a lot to um, this particular holiday. I read a book once. Um, it was a published version of the diary 
of uh, Bishop Olano. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Bishop Olano was the pre-World War II bishop on Guam. And then during the war, um, he was uh, interred in the Japanese camps in Kobe, Japan, with all the American, the American governor and the American government here on Guam when the Japanese came. But because he was a Spanish citizen, he was uh, released in Japan, and then he had to make his way back to Guam. So like it recounts his adventures through like Australia and India and all these places trying to make it back to Guam during World War II. Anyway, the interesting part is, is when he came back to Guam. So here was a Spanish bishop who was here since probably maybe like the 1920s or maybe even the late 19-teens. So he knew Chamorro. He spoke Chamorro, of course. Um, he knew all these people intimately. Um, and then he comes back um, in maybe like September, August or September of 1944, um, after the war. And he, write, he wrote in his diary that something really wrong happened here. He said that the people were not the same people that he met before. And he because it was his diary, he mentioned specific families um, and their family dynamic pre and post World War II. And um, I think that is something that you, you're talking about Bernadette and about, you know, um, uh, domestic violence. And, you know, that's a big issue in our community. And um, I think a lot of that has to also come from the trauma of uh, you know, geopolitical happenings, right? From like war. war yeah. And you were, t and, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. When, as, as you finish up this topic, it relates to what you talked about in, in our genes and, and the, the how, how we change during the, not of course, war, yeah. but how the people who experienced the war were literally changing at the molecular level. Yeah, and physiologically. Your, your, this thought, and then we'll move to the next. Right? Yeah. So I think how we view ourselves as Chamorro, right? Because um, you were mentioning in the PSA, in that Bernadette clip, how, you know, the the idea was that typically what would happen is is this Chamorro man trying to assert his patriarchy would, you know, <laughs> smack his girlfriend around, right? To, to put her in her place, right? Or whatever, right? Because he's the man, right? Um... And how that doesn't jive with the very tomorrow concept of uh, family dynamics. Yeah. You know, a wise man once told me, boy, go ask your mom. Because, <laughs> you know, that that was the default, de facto um, tomorrow way of being. But when we live in the world that we do today, um, of course, uh, America is uh, patriarchal in in. Uh, in, in its worldview, uh, more so than we are. And so there's this there's this dynamic, right? I actually use the word more patrilineal as a yeah. patriarchy. Yeah, okay, well, I'm, whatever. Tomato, tomato, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's more man-focused, more father-focused. And so, yeah. you know, yeah, in, in America, it is now. there used to be a cartoon... Uh, uh, I don't, I don't remember the name, but this is gonna tie into the the bishops. Yeah, there used to be this cartoon. I don't remember the name of the cartoon, but the the little theme song 
was wait till your father gets home, right? Here it might be wait till your mother gets home, mm-hmm. but there it was wait till your father gets home. And so there's this there's this dynamic. About the consequences, right? Bad, yeah. So the outside world and its impositions on us, right. coupled with this trauma that's never been resolved leads to what we have today you know uh, we have some deep issues issues in our community fractures that run you know 75 years old you know we have a a real big issue with with drugs we have a real big issue and and that of course comes from a deeply personal issue and i think it ties in with people's identities Mm -hmm. you know when you don't know who you are or where you fit in in the world or what you're supposed to be doing and then you have this sense of hopelessness or this sense of uh worthlessness Drugs can be an avenue to regain some headspace, and I think a lot That's of people, you, say that, yeah. you know, a lot of people, a lot of people need that, right? They need a quote-unquote break from reality. Well, and, see, and that, that's the weird thing with, with drugs because they're, they're chemicals that we introduce to our systems, mm-hmm. and, and it has a, an effect. And if you don't mind, I'll, sure, I want to talk about my, what I was thinking as you were, as mm-hmm. you were discussing this issue. Uh, starting off with the bishop, but um, so the drugs, you know, they they work with your brain and they cause the brain to activate certain synapses and right. get rushes of certain uh, chemicals, right? It all goes down to your even your body reacts and chemical reactions. And so when you say I want to s- escape reality, it's like you're you're not really doing that. Is you're you're now hyper injecting reality. Your uh, uh, like for instance, cocaine and meth, they're all very similar in that they they trigger the part of your brain that gets triggered when you do something good and productive mm. for yourself, right? And so it's like you're cheating the system and you're getting that feeling without actually doing Without the doing the work for it. And, and there's a consequence to that. And, and through my observation, I see the, the same consequences across the universe. And this is where, you know, getting back into to religion is like, ah, being at peace with everything, meaning that I know there's going to be things that are bad but there are also things that are good and what are we actually striving for? And so to go back to what the bishop was saying about something really wrong happened here, I almost wanted to laugh. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, there was a war. But I know what you mean because he knew these people. He had relationships. Right, and, relationships and all of a sudden. And he's like, who are they? I don't know them anymore. Yeah. And so when, when we talked about, and I'll segue into this study now, the, the genealogy and how you were saying that um, the, the, the scientists, if you will, or the, right. uh, that, that studied our genes, said that, oh, your genes are very similar with the, the Jewish, the Jews' genes who went through uh, Nazi Germany, who right. had to deal with that, all the survivors of the Holocaust. And so that's when they, they realize, oh, we're, we, we are evolving real time during traumatic experiences so that the body can adapt. And then so that when we have kids, they'll be ready to deal with the situation. Right, that, that you're forward. experiencing now. Yeah. And I think as, because we're such highly evolved conscientious beings maybe i'm giving myself too much credit there but we take that for granted that we can still continue to evolve and you were mentioning something about it now it makes the next generation super survivors that's right but there's a caveat to that right it comes with a trade-off meaning it's probably part of the reason why we get a lot of hypertension why we have a lot of like um uh, uh, um, health issues, right? Because the opposite extreme is now also hyperbolized. Uh, the domestic violence, right? The short-temperedness. And then from that, when we look at history without the full context, it's like we have, you know, 
I, I, I'm very torn when I watch and when we do news stories on on people who are talking about war and survivors because I like I look at the people who who were just born yesterday basically, you know, and they're all rah 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 and passionate about the war. It's like you guys don't even know. Like we have no idea. We don't know what it's like for bullets right. to be flying around us and literal bombs to be going off. We don't know what it's like for the daylight to finally, you know, the clouds to clear and the, the sun is shining and you don't have to worry. The world can never go back to the way it was before all the chaos, but you're just glad that things aren't blowing up anymore and you're not worried about getting shot. Yeah, you know, I grew up with war survivors. I was raised by war survivors and I have saying. PTSD from growing up with them. Where's <laughs> my check? The good context for all your stories about learning tomorrow is when you learned it from your grandparents. That's right. So you had a, a the generation uh, before your parents, you were still learning that tomorrow, so it's probably still a lot more organic as what I like to say about Jeremy, because Jeremy, you're a linguist, you, you research the language, because you're trying to find the most organic form that you can put together, right? Is that a good way to say it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it, it's contentious in that sense, too. The Manamkor, like, don't tell me, uh, you know, who are you to tell me? And it's exactly right. That's the tomorrow they grew up with the Chamorro language that evolved over time as it was introduced to different civilizations. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always a good introduction, but it's what it is, and it's how all the different languages around the world evolved. People met, a lot of them fought. The ones that you know were smarter and, and were able to survive said, look, we can't keep killing each other. We don't agree, but let's figure out how to live harmoniously, just like the Chamorros figure out how to live harmoniously in the caste system. It yeah. wasn't a perfect system. There were serfs. You know, you can never, don't come around here. You. Megwa. What, where did that word come from anyway? We were talking about that word Megwa. That was in like the 90s people would say that as a pejorative. Hopefully I'm not like really? saying an actual curse word in a monopoly <clears throat> word. Getting, yeah. So around it off, you were talking about that, the interruption. Um, what are they going to do now? They were under such militant and harsh conditions. So now, and you were speaking, when we were you were telling me the story, it was specific to how they disciplined their children. And before the war, they had a system of doing it without spanking. And after the war, they're like smacking their kids around. Right. So uh, there is a book, I think it was by Fresenay or Garcia, but um, he was talking about his um, observations of tomorrow parenting. And he noticed that, you know, they thought that it was so abhorrent to spank your children. Now, granted, of course, this was the time before modern medicine. And so there was a high likely probability that most people's children would die. Oh, so yeah. children were very precious, right? Um, Interesting. You know, nanny, for example, um, means baby. Uh, there's a word similar to it that also means to praise or to hold in esteem something, right? Uh, we get the word, you know, to, to honor somebody is to noni them, right? To who noni how I, I honor you. So the word th that gives the idea of where children were placed in Chamorro society. So they didn't spank them. What they would do is they would just ignore them when they were not being a part of um, when they weren't following the social rules. Yeah. You just didn't exist. Yeah. When you don't comply, you you don't get to be a part of us, and so we're just going to ignore you. But they would feel sorry for these children, and they would want them to return back to social norms. Yeah. So they would like throw little pebbles at them, uh, make little slide jokes or whatever, trying to get the child to return back into society. Right yeah. to come join us again to be Most a part. Importantly, through their choice. That's right. Yeah, that's an interesting system. Whereas today, 
you know, all if you want to see uh, more discipline in action, just go down to Kmart at about three o'clock in the morning. Um, you know, when people are trying to uh, uh, discipline their children at Kmart in public, you know, and it, it's it's brutal. Right. You and know, again, this is not a this is not a blanket judgment. It, like if you're, and this is the key is if you're impatient with your kids, you know who you are. And, and you know how you present yourself in public when you're trying to discipline them. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying, you know. And then what do you expect when that child does likewise to their peers at right. school? What do you expect? Yeah. You know, that's the world. Violence is the only world and, and language that they speak right. when it comes to interpersonal relationships. Yeah, violence begets violence. That's right. Like, it's very simple. Yeah. It's very simple. Report your soul. But like hardcore violence may like kind of quell the violence beget violence. For, we were, I was having this discussion with somebody else on that actual mm. statement. But we'll go back to what you were, you were talking about in the, the disciplining. Uh, just you explaining the way they did that, it's, it's really how modern day psychology kind of says you need to deal particularly with, with toddlers and like mm. two-year-olds is when they're not conforming to the social norms, and I know this will like trigger a lot of people, but you know, you need to conduct yourself accordingly to social norms because that's the actual harmony that we have. Right. We're all different people. We're all unique, but a lot of us... Those are... Them's the rules. Yeah, them's the rules, social man, and you norms, got to follow your them. own... The, the family's social right, norms. Right. Each family is different correct, as well. Correct, correct. And, and this is not something that somebody wrote down and they, like, stuck it up on the refrigerator and said, everybody got to read this and follow yeah. this. You know, because there's a social constructionist and they say, like, well, we do these things because society tells us. It's like, no... Society and, and social norms are based on our human biology and over time what has evolved and how is the best way for us to all get along yeah. and still be able to do our own things. Mm. You know, uh, it's like, yeah, do whatever you're going to do. Just don't mess with me. Yeah. Right? Don't mess with me and my family and we'll out. be all right. Right. Yeah. And then even, and I, you know, and this is going to sound harsh, but this, I like to use extreme examples because they tend to resonate more. Um, but I say, well, who, who gets, you know, who goes to jail when somebody commits suicide? It's like nobody because that person made that personal choice and it doesn't matter what existential forces they were having to deal with. And it's very unfortunate. It's very tragic. But we make, we are the only person who can effectuate any real change in our lives. Things can happen to us. You're such a Debbie Downer. <laughs> such a Debbie no, Downer. I think once you accept that, man, things are so yeah. much lighter. No, it's because his mom didn't yeah. use her Scots when he was three years old at Kmart <laughs> at 2.30 on a Tuesday. Oh, man. She used to like the extension cord. That was fun. And, you know, it all leads back to what I was saying earlier about how, you know, how you feel about yeah. yourself, how you view yourself yeah. will, will resonate throughout everything you do mm-hmm. and the choices you make and the actions you take yeah I think it's almost time did you did you rhyme on purpose he did because he's very with medical earlier in the morning there was a little earthquake <laughs> oh so we gotta get this guy on, on video. Said the little mountain. Jeremy has the, the coolest expressions. Like we we tend to find ourselves like, do that again, Jeremy. And he just had one of those where he did the hand wave on the side. Yeah. And we'll, we'll start to wrap up this conversation. We really explored a lot of different yeah. things. It's about uh, what it, what. First of all, what is it? What is identity, right? And what, why is it so important to us? And obviously, there's a deep spiritual, emotional, and psychological aspect to us kind of forming this this solid template of our identity and then over time it, we add to it or take away from I it. I think this requires a part two, Julius. No, absolutely. Because I think part two should be and how is our identity here in Guam expressed 
because we talked about what it means to have a personal identity yeah. how uh, uh how it affects us and our family dynamics and ultimately our society as a whole but yeah the 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 second part and i think it's probably going to be a more contentious show oh, and absolutely. i think we should get more people on it especially from uh, other points Very of view from what we're talking about yeah and that is how do we as a people right as a culture as a society portray ourselves to the out outside world and how does that inform our uh, island society because I think it I think it has a, a correlation I think it has an effect and so that that's going to be a really good show that, I you, think you tempers are going to flare you're, you're absolutely right every you know and it's really weird when you think about how things in the world ultimately come down to little molecules in our bodies and how mm -hmm. we choose to deal with our emotions it's very you know important uh, I also wanted to ask Jeremy because that, you know he has that experience in being in cultural groups and we see a comparison with the cultural groups and those who are very uh, socially politically active right so to speak and are you calling me an activist no I'm not calling you an activist <laughs> I don't even like that term anymore activist well I do <laughs> I do I do I do okay so we're wrap this up um one thing i did want to say with respect to identity and this is something that I, I just come to realize in this year uh is i'm julia santos first and i happen to be chamorro and that's that's given me a lot of um um it, it's it's removed a lot of stress mm -hmm. at least in terms of my identity because you know when you when you knew me from malafunction that that was like that was me i would have a lot of words with that me right now mm. tell him to get his head out of his ass wow <laughs> you know because uh, I, I was 20 years old am i gonna how, how who am i to purport that i know how to fix the problems of society right but i knew how how they made me feel but it wasn't society's fault that i couldn't get my head out of my ass so yeah I'll, I'll end it with that final thoughts from adrian and then final thoughts from jeremy well my final thought is this it's 12 30 and Kalbi is calling my name at the korean house right down the street so <laughs> i'm about to have me some good lunch and thank you all uh i hope you found some uh humor and i hope you found some thought-provoking things and i think as a segue into the next episode uh, that you're going to hear on the same topic on GQ is uh, you should ask yourself um, what how you identify yourself what you think of your own identity as as a person as a Chamorro or as a person from Guam as a Guamanian how, however you see yourself and maybe uh, when Julius posts this up um, you know you can leave comments and, and we could address them or, or, or think about them um, where I don't know how you're gonna post this up uh, whether it's gonna no, be yeah, on we're Facebook gonna, we're gonna put it up on on the uh, the, the social medias yeah and, and I mean th thanks for saying all that that's how I was gonna wrap up the whole thing but uh, was there anything else um, I got something no I know you got something but I just wanted Adrian I, I'm good I'm just thinking about Calby and uh, <laughs> yeah it sounds good to me part of the reason me. why I love Adrian so much he's such an asshole okay go ahead <laughs> and thanks for it not being me thinking about the, the only one thinking about the copy. <laughs> and then so, you know, um, thank you for this opportunity to come to speak, you know, good conversations all around. Um, I do look forward to the next time we gather together to talk about this. But I also want to leave the listening audience um, with this, you know, is that we can't turn back the hands of time. 
right? The, what happened in the past happened. It's a lot of uh, some things very unfortunate, some things very good, very yeah. good, you know. And uh, you know, we are the sum total of all that we experience, That's right? right? Yeah. We should learn from the past, be informed and uh, be guided by it but not be stuck in it not yeah. be ruled by it not yeah. be ruled by it and not be stuck in it you yeah. know mm -hmm. um, change is inevitable and change is ever constant you know yeah. and so we need to learn and uh, learn you know as a wise man once said if you have no pa if you don't know where you've been you don't know where you're going to go you have no past you have no future right. Right? right so let's learn from the past you know take that with us to guide us forward in the future but we need to move forward you know, and we need to really talk about a lot of these deep, uh, hurtful, resentful issues that our community faces so that the healing process can begin. Yeah. And that those kinds of conversations have been happening over the years, right, To thanks to a lot of good people out there, you know, whose mm. names may remain unknown. But a lot of good people out there doing some good work, and we just need to stop <laughs> getting on each other, me and me, and, uh, you know, stabbing each other in the back and the crabs in the bucket syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. We're all trying to get over there. We will get over there faster if we work together instead of sabotaging each other's canoe. Right. Thank you, Confucius. Yeah. So By over there, he means to where they serve the Calbi. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's a perfect segue to what I wanted to say. And it's, um, you know, identity is important. It's, it's part of the core of what gets us through life. And I'm glad you talked about moving forward, Jeremy, because we all, we all have our identity. We all have our beliefs, beliefs and they're, they're one of the most precious things to us as individuals. But the rest of the world doesn't care. Because every other yeah. individual is just trying to live their life. And when you can accept that, you'll be a lot more at peace with who you are today. And it won't be so hurtful when people don't care about your feelings. It's because they, they have their own lives to live. It's not that we don't care about you. Because <laughs> we do. And so we hope that you'll catch us again. Like Adrian said earlier, comments galore. Even if you have mean things to say, that's fine. I can deal with it. Love you guys. It's GQ. We'll talk to you next time. Adios.